Please remain standing as we continue worship with a reading from Matthew 7, 16 through 29. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to church. Morning, guys. How's everyone doing? Excellent. You know, I was like, man, I'm just going to like do a quick you know, 10-minute sermon, and we're going to get to the chili. But then I got in the Bible, and I started thinking, so I can't promise it's going to be much quicker than normal. But, uh, <laughs> boo, did someone hiss? Someone just hissed. We want chili, not the Bible. All right. Um, if, if you have your Bible, open them to uh, Matthew 7, verse 16. While you're opening it up, it's the same passage that Mike read before announcements. I'm going to read the tail end of it, just so it's fresh in our hearts and minds, and we'll jump in, and then we'll eat chili. Um, while you're opening in uh, your Bible to that scripture. Um, I'll start in 24, and I'll just read the rest. Um, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, just quick context, this is the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you read the past three chapters, this is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor, right? In spirit, this whole thing, three chapters, starting in Matthew 5, ends with this bit, okay? That's what he means, the words that are in the context. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it, was, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Uh, Tim Elmore's book, Artificial Maturity, uh, in that book he states, The information age has created a generation of people who think that they can become experts by Googling things while having very little life experience. So they can tell you the recipe, the gourmet recipe, artesian (laughs) recipe for, this probably doesn't work, you probably don't have artesian recipes, for apple pie. 
uh, but they've never actually cooked one and maybe not even tasted one. Uh, they can know the history and architecture of Paris in two clicks, but have probably never traveled abroad. Uh, they can become experts in South American tribes, but have never met an Amazonian. And this, he argues, creates what he calls an artificial maturity. So there's, there's knowing, and then there's doing. There's explaining something, that's what I do, yeah, I explain things. And then there's experiencing something. And what Tim Elmore's pointing out is when you have a lot of knowledge, but no experience, it creates a false sense of security. It creates a confidence that deflates under real pressure. Because, wow, I thought I knew this. But when the pressure is turned up, they instantly realize they are out of their depth. And the, the, the result is overwhelming anxiety. And if you look at mental health charts since the proliferation of the smartphone, what you will see is overwhelming anxiety in our youth. Hmm? Another author, Mike Cosper, gives us a metaphor when we think about this idea of knowing versus doing. Okay? He says, a laboratory, a laboratory chemist could tell you how many amino acids and protein chains are in pork percentage of nitrogen and iron that compose the meat, the starch and grain that make up flour, or how much sulfur and potassium and sodium make up the major inorganic components of egg. But that does not mean he can cook a breakfast like granny, right? So it's possible that two people can be talking about the exact same things, but with a totally different kind of knowing, huh? One, based in theory, an academic, and detached from real life experience, and the other living amongst real life, actual living, real experience, the grittiness of life, the surprise and uncontrolled nature of real life, two kinds of knowing. Another uh, um, metaphor that you can think about, I'm just giving you some metaphors to get our brains in this paradigm here. If you take a painting, beautiful, beautiful painting, okay? Well, you can assess that painting in very different ways, can't you? Uh, a scientist can tell you about the uh, oils and canvases and minerals and all the things that combine to make canvas and paints. And an artist can tell you about the historical context of the painting and the painting techniques of brushstrokes, but none of them can tell you why it takes your breath away. It's a different kind of knowing, isn't it? So you can know the facts of a thing and never know the truth behind why it matters. Those majestic truths of the cosmos, beauty, justice, love, romance, the depth and meaning of those things in experience far surpass the observable facts of those realities. So Jesus' statement here, it seems, he knows that our hearts will always drift, listen to this, towards the ease of information over the adventure of experience. Jesus knows this about our hearts. And so he says, you know what, guys? I want to help you discern counterfeit faith from real faith. I want you to know the difference. Not, not just in other people, 
Yes, in other people, right? But, but more importantly, in your own heart. This teaching of Jesus, you judge a tree by its fruit, can thorn, bear, you know, this thing. This is not a hammer for you to bust your friends over the head with. No, no, no. This is an MRI scan so that you can know the health or dysfunction of your own faith. I would argue Jesus is serving each one of us by giving you ways to assess whether or not you actually believe the things you say you believe. Jesus does not want you to be unsure about your spiritual health, friends. He doesn't want you to live in a false confidence. He wants you to be grounded in reality. So he gives you some clear indicators, some clear uh, practical things that you can look at in your own life. He says, listen, when it comes to the authenticity of faith in me, you cannot look at what you say. See, Jesus knew when it comes to the evidence of belief, words were too cheap, too easily fabricated to be true indicators of your faith. So he gives an understandable picture to an agricultural people. He says, you're going to recognize it by its fruit. Grapes are gathered not from thorn bushes. Do you gather grapes from a fig tree? Do you gather grapes from thistles? No, no, no. But every healthy tree bears good fruits. Well, yeah, thanks, Jesus. That makes sense. Oh, but he says, oh, oh, oh. But disease trees, they're going to bear bad fruits. A healthy tree can't bear good fruit. And a diseased tree can't, well, no, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruits. Yeah. A diseased tree can't bear good fruit. He's like, it's pretty simple, guys, right? What's he saying? Well, guys, every single one of us has a natural rhythm to our lives. You have a natural rhythm to your life. You have things that you do that are just on autopilot. It's the natural rhythm of your day. You get up, you do this. You don't even think about it anymore. It's natural. It comes naturally. You've trained yourself in these things. And that natural rhythm of your life is producing something. Jesus says we are either, by virtue of the position of our inner hearts towards him, producing good, noble, excellent, worthy things, or vile, corrupt, diseased, worthless things. A thistle tree produces thorns. That's what it produces. A grape tree, grapevine, produces grapes. He says to us, and to you right now, you cannot look at the things you say. That's not the evidence of your faith. You have to look at the results in your life that come from the natural rhythms. I've never seen a fig tree straining to produce figs. Maybe they do, but I've never seen it. It's just the natural outcome of its existence. Look at me. What is the natural outcome of your existence? What is it in your relationships? What is the natural outcome of your existence in your workplace, in your mind, in your thoughts? Jesus is saying, if you look around you, you will begin to notice things, not about others, but about yourself. And the natural rhythms of your life will produce things. What is it producing? Isaiah picks up on this in Isaiah 57. He says, hey, the wicked, they're like the tossing sea. It can't be quiet. It's waters toss up, mire and dirt. He's saying the natural rhythms of their life, nothing they're doing out of the ordinary. It's the ordinary things they're doing that produce chaos, cloudiness in the waters that you can't see through. Have you ever swam in the Atlantic? It's gross. 
right? I'm not, no, no, no thank you, right? I'm gonna go to the Gulf where I can see if a shark's coming close to me, right? I'm not, I don't like muddy waters. He's saying the wicked, the natural tendency of your life will, will produce muddy waters. It's really hard to see in muddy waters. Hmm? It obstructs the view, doesn't it? Jesus brings to mind a tree, a, a woods riddled with thorns. Any, any hikers out there? You ever tried to go through a thorny wood? Real fun, isn't it? No, it hurts. It's painful. It produces wounds and hurts. It's slow. It's laborious. You might know relationships that feel like that. You might be the kind of person that, ha- that produces that kind of relationship. You might be the kind of person to be your friend. feels like walking through thorny woods. It's prickly. And you get hurt. And it's slow and it's laborious. And I'm trying to love them, but mercy me. Hmm? The natural rhythms of your life is producing something, guys. What do your relationships look like? What are they marked by? Right? What Jesus is really trying to help us discern is, is the state of your own heart. Does my life produce refreshing, sustaining, life-giving experience for others? You ever had a fresh fig? Or does hanging out with them feel languishing to your soul? And it's like trying to work your way through a thorny wood, getting pricked here and pricked there. Some of your relationships feel like that right now. You just can't take two steps without getting hurt. Guys, that's the natural rhythm of your life producing something. And Jesus loves you enough to say, wake up. Huh? Jesus Jesus says words are too cheap. You have to look at action. You have to look at the real, inevitable, observable results in people. Now, here, okay, all right, that's heavy. All right, good, let's get through over that. Now, this is why, for me, teaching at church is unbelievably deceiving to my soul. Does it speak personally right now? You could be, and I'm not, I'm not saying this at all. You could, someone out there might be the best communicator in the world. Sway the hearts of men. Power of persuasion. Know the Bible back and left. Right, left and right. Obviously, not the best. You're with me. Jack's with me, right? No first century, no, all the things, right? And yet their life produced strife and sin and heartache. And it can be an unbelievably deceiving scenario when you can explain things to others who don't understand it. You think in that moment, I must have this figured out. I'm telling you right now, it's a different muscle. It's a different muscle. I don't care how smart you are. Guys, have you ever seen um, The Lady in the Water, the M. Night Shyamalan movie? And that, that weird dude that works out half of his body? You remember that? What a weird, wacko picture. Many of us spiritually look like this. You think because you can quote scripture, that means you're living it. You're not. You have to live it. And many of us have these unbalanced Christian lives where we have mistaken knowing things in the Bible for living them out. It is not the same thing. And many of us have unbalanced views and we're deceiving ourselves. I'm telling you, it's different muscles. It's a different muscle. My faith in my life, my relationships, guys, I could be killing it up here and languishing there. And you would never, I mean, he seems fine. This is, this is the threat for me that I have to deal with every week. And walk away thinking, oh, well, I've explained that well. I must be living in that. That is not the same. It is not the same muscle, right? Knowing in your mind and living something out, walking it out is completely different, right? You can know the chemistry, but can you make that breakfast like granny? No, right? Don't mistake talking for doing, Christian. 
Don't mistake talking for doing. Don't mistake knowledge for action on the stage or in your own life. Sometimes we think because we've acknowledged what's right mentally, all right, it proves that we're in the right. And that's all that really matters. I just have to acknowledge it's right or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? See a person on the side of the road and what do you acknowledge? Oh, someone should help them, right? Oh, you see something broken. Oh, someone should fix that. Oh, you've acknowledged it. You've pointed out that's broken. It should be fixed. Oh, you're good, right? Morally, there's a better way to do this, right? Oh, this is what scripture really means with no real intention of ever getting in the mix. This is, (laughs) I just love how many people love to give advice. Giving advice is the best thing ever, right? It strokes your ego, you know, like you feel like you, everyone sees everyone else's problems with crystal clarity, right? You need to do this, right? Sometimes, y'all, knowing the right thing to do is remarkably easy, right? Like I have internet access to, great, cool, right? Doing the right thing can be remarkably hard, hmm? Right? Giving advice is lovely. It it reminds me of the very creepy children's story, Alice in Wonderland. Remember Alice in Wonderland? Uh, She sits down and begins to bemoan her situation of being lost in Wonderland and realizes this is all my fault. I've brought this on myself. And she says, that's just the trouble with me. I give myself very good advice, but I seldom follow it. The difference between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing may be as stark as an adapted, I'm going to adapt a Mark Twain quote. Uh, Knowing the right thing and doing the right thing, the difference between these things may be as stark as the difference between a lightning bug and lightning. Knowing the right thing may bring the amount of light and intensity of a lightning bug in your life. Doing the right thing is more like the power of the sun unleashed. You don't get 1.21 gigawatts of Holy Spirit power by knowing the right thing. You get that by doing, doing, walking in the right thing, right? Jesus says, when you're looking to discern the authenticity of your faith, what are you saved by? Faith through grace. It's God's work. But Jesus says, if you want to see if people actually believe that, you got to look at what their lives produce. And those natural rhythms will produce fruit, and that fruit will tell you what kind of person they are. And he goes on to this very, very famous, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, we're into the kingdom of heaven. He talks about people who are doing really miraculous things, what they call mighty works, most of which I've not done in my right. And yet at the end of their life, he has this very unsettling thing saying, I never knew you to these, but he makes it really clear what the issue is. He calls them workers of lawlessness. Jesus condemns these people full of fruits as a worker of lawlessness. He's saying, yes, you you have this thing, but you see, there's this inner under the surface lack of restraint in your life. You don't know how to say no to yourself. Huh? You're without healthy boundaries. And in this passage, stay with me, Jesus seems to be elevating hidden obedience in the unseen places of your life over and above signs and wonders when it comes to the validity of faith. That seems clear from the text. And so he goes on. Let me give you another picture, Jesus says. This is what it's like to merely listen and not do, and this is what it's like to listen and actually do. And he tells us the tale of two houses. Story of two houses, right? Both built. One on the foundation of rock, one on the foundation of sand. It's a very popular passage. If you, even if you're not a Christian, you probably have heard it before. And Jesus maybe locates the most prevailing error in Christianity in this passage. If you look at the sprawling landscape of American Christianity, 
and you located its Achilles heel, might it be that we know the right thing to do but lack the power to do it? Might it be that we affirm the right theology but lack the power to act on it? This is remarkably simple, and I can prove it to you right now. If I drop the bomb right now, I'm about to drop a truth bomb. Ready for this? Here you go. (laughs) Jesus sacrificed himself for you and extended grace to you. And you should sacrifice yourself for others and extend grace. Yeah, okay, but was anyone's mind blown right there? Was anyone like, I didn't know that! That's crazy! Like, this changes everything! No, I, I don't think anyone had that response in here. No one is really shocked right now that I just said Jesus sacrificed for you and he extended grace and you should sacrifice for others and extend grace. Now, you you know that. Now, you know what might blow people's mind? If you started living self-sacrificially and extending grace. Like that actually might be quite shocking. Very shocking, really, depending on who it comes from, right? And let me tell you something. Staying in the position of knowing but never doing will inevitably result in ingrained self-deception. How do you resolve the tension, the dissonance of hearing over and over and over again, but never doing? Well, it's very simple. You just convince yourself there's no difference between hearing and doing. Just convince yourself that knowing the right thing is just as good as doing the right thing. Right? I mean, if you're not a Christian in this room, you can breathe a sigh of relief because this is not really, probably not most dangerous for you. No, it's dangerous to the Christians in the room. This is threatening to the people who hear the Bible every week who read the Bible every week, right? And I think you will find the more you hear and do not act, the less you will be able to hear at all. Bibles, Bibles, the Bible, sermons, Christian jargon, prayer, worship, eventually becomes white noise. It has zero impact, zero meaning, zero relevance. It's like a car alarm. When's the last time you heard a car alarm and you were like, someone's robbing a car? No. I can't remember the last, no, when the last time I heard a car alarm, I was like, press the button, dummy, right? No, no one thinks someone's robbing a car. You know what? The car alarm no longer intends to do the things it was made to do. It's white noise. It's meaningless. It's lost all relevance, right? This is a great picture of the teachings of Jesus in many of our lives. It's a great picture of the Bible in many Christians' lives. It has lost the ability to do what it, it was created to do because it's white noise, It's like a car alarm. Someone turn that off. Doesn't have the effect that God intends it to have in your life. And when that happens, the self-deception has lodged itself into the center of your religious life. And you are always hearing, but you are never transformed. And it is always going to be in the religious scene where this happens, right? And, And most of the people who have been in the religious scene the longest that end up with remarkably calloused hearts to the voice of God. And, and yet convincing themselves they're people of faith. What is, what is that getting at hardness of heart stuff? What does the Bible mean when it talks about this? Hebrews, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Do you know how calluses form? Do you know how calluses form? It's by repeated action unchanged, without change. Okay, so if you dig a pit with a shovel, the repeated action, the friction of shovel to hand uh, over and over and over again without change will create a callus will create a place on your hand where sensitivity is lost. If we find ourselves in a place where we are hearing the word of God over and over and over and never changing, it will eventually have the effect of hardening your heart. Now, did God's word do that or did you do that? Yes. Get it? When Jesus said, 
You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. He's describing a faith that's only a hearing faith. It's a faith that doesn't actually turn to him. It's a fa- and a hearing faith, say with me, is a Ferris wheel faith. Ferris wheel faith. You ever been in a Ferris wheel? Tickles your tummy, feels great, looks like a lot of motion, but you're not going anywhere. Many Christians have Ferris wheel faiths. It's, a, it's great, it feels great, but nothing is actually changing in your real life. Jesus is trying to save you right now from a Ferris wheel faith. Hmm? That looks like a lot of motion, but in reality is not infusing your life with the power of his love. Hmm? Perhaps the most unsettling thing about this picture Jesus gives to the naked eye is the two houses he describes looked completely identical from the outside. There's one built on sand, there's one built on rock. They both look the same. You know, craftsman style, you know, right? Think of all the effort and resources that go into building a house. Think of all the effort and resources going to build, right? Both houses have been worked over, blood, sweat, tears, two by four, plywood, nails, both have been invested in. The difference under the surface is one cut corners in the unseen places and the other one didn't, right? From the outside, they look identical. Jesus knew this would take place among religious people. And he's saying there is an unseen foundational issue that if you don't deal with, when the storms come, your faith will crumble. Dude, Jesus doesn't mess around. If the foundation of your faith is simply mental ascent, Simply the idea that if I know this intellectually, that that gives me a free pass. Jesus is saying, when the storm comes, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, if you obey me, the storms never come. That's not what he says. No, the storm comes, the rivers rage, the rains fall, the wind rips against your soul, right? That's going to come. But he says, the one who's done the unseen work of submitting to me, of actually submitting to me, who's taken their faith out of theoretical netherworld and put it into real life, that guy who's done that unseen work, man, the storms are going to come, but he's going to be standing at the end. But the guy who's not done the unseen work of submitting to the kingdom of Jesus, right? Dude, when this stuff hits the fan, your house is going to fall. And he says, everyone's going to be shocked. We're going we're to think, wow, I, I thought they had it together. They could explain things so well at small group. They knew so many passages of scripture. See, guys, Jesus is not browbeating you to follow rules. He's, not, he's, he's saying human flourishing happens only by love-saturated obedience in your real life. Right? He, Jesus wants you to be fully alive. He's revealing to you that if you will submit to God out of love for him, when the storms come, man, you, you will be able to stand, Right? Storms are going to rage, but the foundation will hold because it's built on obedience to the transcendent word of God, not feeling, not words, not emotions, but real action and experience with God, right? But for those who only know one word, the storm's going to overwhelm them and great anxiety should befall, right? right? When uh, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do the unseen work under the surface in our lives, guys, we should be nervous. We should be nervous Christians. <laughs> but if, if, We will allow and invite in the work of the Holy Spirit in the unseen places where no one else sees us. Then we have confidence that when the storm comes, we will stand, right? If you're here today and your faith might be described as a Ferris wheel faith, in other words, uh, there's emotion, there's excitement, but no real discipline. You don't know how to say no to yourself. 
I think Jesus would call you to meditate on what he meant when he said, whoever follows me must pick up his cross. I think you should sit with that for a while. And on the other side, if you're here today and wouldn't describe your faith as a Ferris wheel at all, I mean, if it's a Ferris wheel, the power's been pulled on it, right? You just, maybe, maybe the way you describe your faith is a heart made of stone. And that heart, it's made of stone, has a bunch of thorny thistles that have grown up around it. Do you see that picture? Can you see it? Can you see a heart made of stone with thistles around it? Can you see a heart that's completely, overwhelmingly calloused in so many places that it can't feel? Why did it become callous? Well, because the thorns, you see. See, when your life produces thorns and thistles, it hurts you too. And you have to figure out how you're going to get along. How are you going to get along? Well, you got to become calloused. You got to harden off, right? You got, you got to make things not feel anymore. And if that picture of a heart in stone with thistles growing up around, if that is resonating in your mind right now, and maybe the Holy Spirit might be saying, man, there, there, there's, a, there's a promise in the Old Testament. And he says, I'm gonna take your heart of stone, I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh. And if you're here today, and that picture is resounding, if it's echoing through your heart, man, I think God uh, wants to make good on his word for you today, right now. And I think he wants to soften your heart by the power of his Holy Spirit. And I believe he can. So I'm gonna pray for us right now. And then we're gonna eat some chili, okay? Let me pray for us. Yeah. Jesus, would you save us, God, from ears that hear but don't hear, eyes that see but don't see. Have mercy on us, God, who handle the Bible, who read the Bible, who speak the Bible to others, God. Have mercy on us when it's become nothing more than a car alarm in the background. No longer doing what you intended to do. I'm reminded of the passage of scripture when he says, you know what? My word's always gonna do what I intend it to do. It's gonna water what I intend it to water. So word of God, would you, would you just do that today in our hearts, God? Holy Spirit, would you come and soften the places in our hearts where we have lost sensitivity to your voice. God, would you warm our hearts by the Holy Spirit right now? Father, in the places where relationships, um, there's a word cauterized, right? It's when it's cut off and then it's melted, so it's no, it no longer has any sensation. Father, I pray for the areas of our hearts where we have become cauterized in our relationships with one another. We're no longer sensitive uh, to those around us. God, would you have mercy right now? Lord, would you soften the areas of our hearts that we've become hardened, Lord? God, have mercy on your children. Holy Spirit, come. I've always seen um, obedience to God as this kind of act in which we're piling sticks on, a, on a, a, like a fire pile, right? But obedience can never light the fire. But it, man, it, it piles up all this fuel for the fire. Holy Spirit, would you come light the fire? Holy Spirit, would you come bring new life where, where all of our efforts can't? God, I just pray for those in this room who feel at um, their wit's end uh, when it comes to just a hardness of heart, loss of sensitivity, lack of ability to listen to others, to listen to you. And, and they're just at the edge of wanting to give up. Holy Spirit, would you come? Thank you, God, for the work that you do amongst us, Lord. Yes.
God, would you restore uh, the areas of our hearts and lives that have been calloused through sin and experience and heartache and suffering and disappointment. Right now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to cut off the calluses. God, restore the sensitivity. God, help us to trust and lay down before the good doctor and let him do his work on our hearts, knowing that in the end we will be more alive. Come, Holy Spirit, and do the deep work that needs to be done in many of our hearts and lives right now when it comes to lack of sensitivity to your voice. Thank you, God. Help us not be the people who know all the details about the grace of God, but have never participated in the grace of God. Right now, man, I just want to invite you uh, to say yes to the grace of God in your heart and life, God. God, open us up, Lord. Help us become vessels of your grace to the world around us. God, we love you. Yeah. You know, let me pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming today, guys. Listen, if you're a guest, please hang out.